listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 94 of the Testudo Times Podcast, where I'm here to address a concern from the comments on a few of our previous shows. I'm not related to Max Bortenschlager in any way. The last names are very long and they sound German. Mine is German, but we have no relation in any way, shape, or form. We've never met before. I'm just going to put that out there before we go on for this show. It has been on my mind for the last couple of shows, but for whatever reason, I had been lost in the shuffle with all sorts of stuff that had been going on. To be honest, it could have easily been lost in the shuffle after everything that's going on this past weekend, but I'm getting it out now. I felt like I need to address that controversy in air quotes, and I am now getting it off my shoulders. So Thomas... Let's start with the most bizarre 24 hours in Maryland athletics that I can remember since I started following this team and the school when I came to school five years ago. Kevin Anderson is on administrative leave, but he's really fired, and this came out of nowhere. How does this happen, and what kind of process leads to this news being dropped on a football Saturday? Um, well, the, the thing with that is that you know, it wasn't out of nowhere to us. We had we had known about it for a little while. It's it's one of those where I was I was surprised that it was kind of announced when it was. You know, right before I was going to leave to cover a football game, and you know, on a Saturday, when be you know, Big Ten Network was here. It, just a lot of stuff going on there. I mean, but I I think that was in the works for a while, and. We are still trying to hunt down, you know, if there's anything, you know, what if there are specific reasons for it, or if it's just the general um, Kevin Anderson and Wallace Lowe didn't seem to get along that well. Which, um, you know, if you'd pay attention, you would you would notice. Like ever, that was clear to me when Wallace Lowe was like publicly campaigning for Chip Kelly to be Maryland's head coach. Um, and. I forgot so, that actually happened. Yeah. Yeah, the president of the university decided he wanted this football coach, and they didn't even talk to that football coach, I don't think. So, um, yeah, I mean, they just never they never got along great, and I think um, for, for contract reasons, it was going to be time soon. And I guess maybe the him interviewing for the Cal job uh, might have been a tipping point. Um I think the compromise that has been reached is that they'll they'll pay him for the six months that he's on leave, quote unquote, and, and he'll take that time to you know find out his next chapter. I mean, because he's you know he's 62, he's been a very powerful person in a lot of places, um, and so he's he's got to find the next step for him. And um, yeah, I mean, whatever whatever has been said about Anderson, you know, he is he's been effective at least, and I think he'll be solid, whatever he does next. So I want to ask this question first, because I don't remember. Did Wallace Lowe hire Kevin Anderson? I don't remember if he did or not, because that was before I got to school, Wallace and Lowe, the timelines are crossed a little bit when Lowe came into Maryland, which was, I think, 2010 or 2011, if I remember correctly. So he wasn't president, but was there. So Anderson was already in place. Okay, so you can understand. Uh, well, cause... well, Lowe was part of the... Uh, like group that hired um, Anderson, but he was not president at the time. Okay. 
So if he had final say, who knows how things would have ended differently. It's a muddled mess, and now with Lowe as president, you would assume he'd have final say over who ends up getting hired as athletic director. It's interesting, Lamar, because I think the reaction's a little mixed because, of course, Anderson hired Randy Edsel. Not your good first introduction to Maryland football fans, and the way that he got rid of Ralph Region was not well-liked by many people that connected with this school. Uh, then he's hired a lot of other coaches, and he hasn't really missed any since then. You've got to say that Mark Turgeon turned out to be a pretty good hire. Maybe the contract they gave him a little bit too long, but beggars can't be choosers. DJ Durkin looks like he's going to be a pretty good hire. Plenty of good hires down at the non-rev level, Steve Aird being one of them, or somebody we know very well, helping to turn around that women's volleyball program. And he'll be known as the guy who helped transition Maryland from the ACC to the Big Ten, and that's a seminal legacy that he will always leave on the school, even if a lot of it was Wallace Lowe's doing. So it's really a complicated legacy that he leaves here, but in many ways I think it's a somewhat positive legacy. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely more positive than negative uh, as a whole. You do have the missteps, especially with the – the problem is like there were public missteps. Uh, that uh, might be where some of that happened. But he did uh, leave a – positive legacy on Maryland athletics, especially during that transition period to the Big Ten. You don't accidentally win the most title, uh, league titles uh, as soon as you join. That's like that's done from uh, a structural level. And, yeah, he had it, – it'll be interesting to see how his legacy is looked back upon uh, five years from now or uh, depending on, like, who comes next. But it does look like – it, it, that's what makes this timing a little bit more interesting because, yeah, everything does appear to be on the uh, trending upward at the moment. It is fascinating, Thomas, because, as you said, football looks to be going on the up and up. The season has gone very Maryland football, but there's no reason to think that this program's on the wrong track. There's a lot of successes going on in non-revs. They just want two lacrosse national titles. But when it's a personal relationship that's going sour, as it seems to have been— we don't know much more than anyone else does at this point as to why this happened and why it's happening now. But when it's a personal relationship, it could go sour at any moment and somebody can just snap and say, the Cal thing is probably what put Wallace Lowe over the edge. But it is an interesting time because Maryland is now on some pretty solid footing in the Big Ten. They're certainly on better financial footing in the athletic department than they were when Anderson came in, when the program was bleeding red ink everywhere. And that's why I think, as we said, his legacy is mostly a positive one, even if his initial days with Maryland are not going to be well-remembered by many. Yeah, I think it's one of those where, you know, a lot of people will give him different credit for a lot of the things that are going on. And I think that's, that's fair. It is, you know, I don't know but more than, you know, most people how much of a say he had in, you know, moving to the Big Ten. That's obviously something that happens largely above his pay grade, but he, he's certainly a part of it. Um, the hiring of certain coaches, you know, how much of that's him, how much of that is other people. I think ultimately he, he leaves a good legacy, but I don't think he leaves an irreplaceable legacy. I think um, a lot of people just seem, do seem to have mixed feelings on him. And, um, feel like especially uh right now with damon evans um it seems like there's going to be some continuity with that um and 
I think at least for the short term, that'll be a good thing because, as we said earlier, I mean, things are going fine. Maryland Athletics, every program is either doing well or seems to be on the up. Um, so at least for now, having some continuity, uh, Evans has been here pretty much since Anderson's been here. Um, that should help. So let's go to a couple of aspects of this before we start to transition to bigger topics as to who the next AD could be. The first of which is the most interesting part of the story that we had heard through the reporting is that Kevin Plank is a really big Kevin Anderson defender, and he was the reason why this didn't happen sooner. And that's a dynamic that plays a really big role in this AD search to come is Kevin Plank, who is essentially the third biggest apparel company in the country, is Maryland's biggest donor. And the fact that he stepped in to prevent Anderson from being fired, well, fired in air quotes, is an interesting development. And I don't know how much say he has going forward. You assume he has a lot of say because of the money that's involved. But his involvement in preventing Anderson from being let go of earlier is something that is such a fascinating aspect of how this program develops going forward, not just football and basketball, but all sports because of his connections and his money. You know, that's something that we always have to keep in mind. And I think just the fascinating aspect of the way he has been personally involved in this situation is something that we absolutely have to take note of. Agreed. I mean, I I don't know how much of a role he'll play in directly deciding the next guy but uh, i would assume it's a big I know role. they won't make the, yeah i know for i know they won't make that decision without him at least getting a word in so now we must look at the immediate future of the athletic department and then more of a long-term future you have the immediate future as you talked about with damon evans as it looks like he's going to be running day-to-day operations as he kind of has been recently but then there's been that talk from maryland boosters that they want gary williams as interim ad which is Weird. I know Barry well, Alvarez. I think is a that thing. I think the I think that one already. Oh, did it uh, already go down the drain? It's probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Williams. He never struck me as someone who would actually want to have that big of a role. I mean, he retired as the basketball coach. Like, well, Barry you know, Alvarez retired as a football coach and then became AD at Wisconsin. Yeah, it's not yeah. unheard of. Things things happen, but. I don't know. Williams didn't didn't seem to want that big of a spot, which is totally reasonable. Um, yeah, I don't know how much uh, they go looking. I think it might make some sense uh, to at least. I, I mean, Evans to me might be more than just an interim guy. I mean, he's been the head athletic director at Georgia uh, before he had to resign for some some funny stuff. Yeah, but he came from that and has now been at Maryland for seven years. I think he's he's certainly qualified um, to to run the athletic department. Um, I'm intrigued to see if they, to what extent they do look elsewhere and when they start doing that. I would be surprised if they didn't look elsewhere because whatever you think about Maryland in terms of a program in the Big Ten and where they are in relative distance to everybody else they are a power five school and they have the backing of one of the biggest apparel companies in the country that makes this a very attractive job for many different athletic directors who are on a lower level looking to move up or if you're at a smaller school at a power five level and you want a new opportunity that could happen we just saw washington state's a team go to nebraska so it's not unheard of and we have no intel on this process and think we have not much intel on how coaching searches work and how recruiting processes work. I have even less idea. 
of how an athletic director search would work. But Lamar, before we move on to other things that went on this weekend, and there are lots of them, do you think that we see Damon Evans end up getting this job full time? Or how do you think if there is a search for athletic director, it would work? Um, I'd be surprised if Evans ends up the full time guy just because he, yeah, he, his, the end to his Georgia stint was pretty publicly funny. So, uh, it's hard I to avoid that, that. And I think it'll be hard for Maryland to avoid that. Yeah. I think just because of that, uh, being attached to him there, he will all, uh, open up the coaching, uh, the, uh, AD search. Not sure how it ends up if he proves to be able to like if he earns a job like he he may still be able to earn the job but I I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up in like a, a high profile search. I would assume it would be because you don't get many Power Five AD openings coming up every day. It's not something that happens overnight. Happened with Nebraska, obviously, as we mentioned before, but. Certainly interesting times at the top of Maryland's athletic department. And then you get to all of the aspects with the sports as this news was breaking. And most of us first heard about this news, or at least some of us first heard about this news, Thomas, when Devin Dotson committed to Kansas. Because apparently the Kansas boards, the in-the-know folks, or hashtag ITK, if you were a soccer fan, you'll understand that little reference. But they apparently knew that Kevin Anderson was in some trouble more than we did, which is weird. I mean, I will say this again. I mean, like... I personally had known uh, since during the Ohio State game, actually, um, is when is when I was told about it. Lamar was actually the guy who told me about that because he had heard it from somebody. So rumors had been swirling. Um, but it had been somehow these but, rumors, for however prevalent they were, they'd been kept really under wraps until that report came out or until um, the Kansas message yeah, boards had they, learned about it. It was one that every every reporter I spoke to said they had known about it, but they hadn't gotten enough on it to, you know, report anything until the Masson guy did, I guess. And even his initial report turned out to be a little off, and then Maryland uh, tried to do that whole thing where they, like, said, no, he's still the AD, and then the next day they crafted a more actual statement. Um, and then on on Monday, he released a statement, and then that's... I think they're just going to try and leave it at that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like a handful of people would have known. I don't know how, how it spread to Kansas. Um, see, see, but, that's the thing. Like, I don't doubt that anybody in the know would know these things, and most of the journalists, obviously, including you guys, knew it. But the fact that it was kept largely under wraps, and we hadn't heard really public rumors about it until Friday night before it broke – I mean, again, maybe the details were pretty nebulous and vague, but the general ideas out there, just in my personal view, being more distant from the situation because I'm not in College Park anymore, I find it a little bit surprising that there weren't like drips and drabs from people coming out saying something's up here. And I mean, again, these situations can happen in all sorts of different ways. And with college athletic departments, it's really weird how they operate. But again, I'm a little surprised that we hadn't heard more rumblings about this publicly before it really blew up. But, again, maybe that's just me not being as plugged in as maybe I should have been. But whatever it is, Thomas, we found out about it when Devin Dotson committed to Kansas. Then, the next day, the consolation prize in Eric Ayala commits to Maryland. So, in terms of on-the-court things for Mark Turgeon, now that he has a little bit of worries about who his next athletic director is going to be, on-the-court in this very important recruiting class, 
They get Ayala, they don't get Dotson. This was one of the outcomes you suspected was very likely. I think you said last week it was the most likely outcome, if I remember correctly. I believe both Jared and I did say that. I think it seemed pretty reasonable. So it's the outcome that has exactly happened. So what is the outcome now that Eric Ayala is going to Maryland and Derek Dotson is going to Kansas? It def- I don't know. I don't really know if it changes too much because they're the same position. Um, it doesn't uh, make anything too drastically different for Keldon Johnson. Um, who's considering Maryland and Kentucky and Texas and I think Florida State's the fourth or NC State, one of those two. And I don't think it makes anything super different from Moses Brown. Maryland still has room for five as we stand in this class. And, you know, your dream class of um, that in, that included the two commits already, uh, Jalen Smith, Aaron Wiggins, plus, say, Johnson, Brown, um, and then you weren't sure, so who could be the fifth? Would you want Devon Dotson? Would you want um, Eric Ayala to be the fifth? And I think Maryland would have taken both because they completely and totally expect Justin Jackson to leave for the NBA and open up a sixth spot. It, it sort of leaves that sort of question mark, at least uh, for now, just it, it takes that out. Not really surprising, I guess. I wasn't plugged in super much into the Dotson recruiting process. I guess it seemed Lamar like he was he was kept Maryland open for a while and then chose Kansas. I mean, can you blame somebody for wanting to play basketball at Kansas? They they get one, that's good, but I'm again, I don't think they could really do much with Justin Jackson we think is going to leave for the NBA because they can't officially offer that spot until he does. So they get Ayala. What kind of player are they getting? Uh well, yeah, Jared actually wrote something about this today. We're getting a four-year player. Uh, Ayala isn't Devin Dotson, but he is a, he's still a top 70 player. He's still uh, the number six combo guard in the nation. He, we're still getting a quality player in the signing. Like, there's a reason like he pushed the Terps up to the number five class in the nation. Uh, he'll probably be here for the next four years, which is good because he'll be one of those players uh one of those first couple guards off the bench and uh honestly like that's been one of the things that uh the terps have lacked in the last couple of years now you add him say like you have ayala you have daryl morcel who'll probably be in his second year as like an off the bench guard you're adding the like a solid bench presence at like the at like the uh in the backcourt and really building up that depth it's important to build up that depth, and that's been a problem for Maryland in the past couple of years with backcourt depth. We, we have seen that for many years. So, Thomas, they now have three commits already in the class for 2018. They are at the fifth-graded class in the country, which is incredible for Maryland. Even though we all love this program so much, we don't expect it to be that high, and they still have at least two more open slots even without Justin Jackson leaving for the NBA, which we all consider. As you said before, they're still set up pretty well for the rest of the class, but I think it's going to take a little bit longer for the rest of it to shake out, especially considering what else is going on in college basketball and the fact that Moses Brown hasn't committed yet and might be waiting until next spring to do so, as we've talked about before. Yeah, I think um, it's one of those... It's tricky because I think it's pretty clear their top options, you know, their their favorites still on the board are Keldon Johnson and Moses Brown. Um, and they have a reasonable shot at both. You, you'd never know. Players like those, you know, are always, you know, completely and totally 
just liable to just go to a blue blood like Kentucky or you know if if one of the blue bloods like Duke or somebody offers Brown you know that could just throw a whole whole another screw a lot of things up but um yeah so it's it's tricky to you know just keep pushing on those guys pushing on those guys but also have uh backup plans ready and I think they always have backup plans ready. You have to. College recruiting is all about, well, we have number one options, but we know we might not be number one on their list, so you have to have backup options. And I guess Ayala is, in many cases, a backup option called the consolation prize because when you lose out on a five-star and you get a four-star, those might be the optics of it. But quickly on Ayala before we move on to the other things that went on this weekend, which was an actual game, uh, Ayala is a four-year player. I don't know much about Dotson's NBA prospects, but as a five-star prospect, I'd assume they're pretty high. But if you're getting Ayala for more years, is that a good trade-off, so to speak, when we were projecting at this point in their careers? I don't know. And that's why it was always sort of tough for me personally to like decide who would I rather have. You know, Dotson, I, I think, would, would have been around probably two years because he's, he's like the 25th. Or, you know, I think he was 24th in the composite rankings. Not that that translates too much to the NBA. Um, so, I mean, he, he had the kind of game that he would be a prospect at some point. He might not be right now. Um, so I think they would have had him for a couple of years, but he would have been kind of like Trimble, at least, a candidate to to leave early. And Ayala, at least at the moment, is not that. Um, he's He's one who, you know, if he gets good enough in four years, maybe he'll have much better prospects. Um, so it, it's an interesting sort of debate because I don't know how long Dotson would have stayed. Um, and obviously, at least at, at least right now, he's a more talented player. But def- there's definitely no reason to be disappointed in getting Eric Ayala out of all this. Absolutely not. And their recruiting class is already fifth in the country, so there's no reason to be that disappointed right now. You're still getting a pretty good consolation prize, even if it is a consolation prize. And it's rare, my friends, that it takes us 23 or so minutes into a podcast before we talk about a football game that actually took place with all this other stuff that was going on. But there was a football game, and arguably the most memorable part of the football game wasn't even the football game on the field, Thomas. It was the football game in the stands. Yes, uh, featuring Maryland basketball players Kevin Herter and Andrew Terrell. Uh, I wish Um, that they were on the field for us. We could have used them. Yeah, yeah, Herter rolling out and... I don't know, Terrell doing interviews in the middle of the field. It would have been weird. It would have been um, really cool, though. But, yeah. I don't know Certainly how well... would have been more fun than the actual game. I don't know how well Terrell's towel-waving game would translate to the football side. What about side his sign-holding? The juice um, sign? I think he'd be yeah, pretty I don't good know. at that. You would think, but I just don't know yet. Um, we have to, we have I, to I, ask him. I will ask him later. I would hope you would do so. I will, uh, I will go to Maryland Media Day on Halloween and ask him. Um, I am waiting for this great content on TestudoTimes.com. It will be amazing. Oh, yeah. How good is Andrew Terrell holding a sign that says excessive juice? Uh, we're talking about this because we don't really want to talk about the football game, which is largely bad. Uh, it was not a good day for the team on the field, Thomas, and it's frustrating because it now seems like a season that had so much promise multiple times is going to end where a lot of us kind of thought it would at the beginning of the season, which was no bowl game. If they had beaten Northwestern, a decent chance at six would have still been there. Now, six looks like a very tall ask, especially when their defense got pushed around by an offense that 
Well, it hadn't really looked that good all year, and this was a team that got destroyed at Duke and bullied Maryland in their own stadium. Yeah, it was uh, was not not great. Um, the the stat that like has jumped out at me most is the last two weeks, and I know one of them was was against Ohio State, but when you allow eleven hundred and fifteen yards and gain four hundred and six. You should not be with. You will probably go zero and two in those two football games. And in one of those it, games, they only it, lost by sixteen. Yeah, well, the fact that Maryland was even in that game speaks to their ability to create turnovers and their their defense is like still kind of that bend but don't break defense because they forced a bunch of field goals. Yeah, and, and they were still in it even though they were outgained by about two hundred. I mean, um, the first half was just a disaster. And they started okay. They had a lead early, and then Northwestern just started to totally tear them apart offensively. And that is not something I expected with this defense, which we thought, all right, there was going to be a transition this year, but we expected this to still be a pretty solid unit. And against Ohio State, I can understand getting run over. It's Ohio State, but this isn't Ohio State. This is Northwestern. You know, this is still, for however good Pat Fitzgerald is as a coach, this is a team that got blown out of Duke in football, not basketball. That really shouldn't be happening at home in any game like this. And it's really more frustrating, Thomas, I think, because against Minnesota, who it now turns out is not very good at football, they looked pretty decent. And you thought, all right, this could translate to future games. But for whatever reason, they just got bullied on both lines of scrimmage again. And for a team that has prided itself on being so physical at the line of scrimmage and building from inside out, that's got to be really alarming the way that you've just been totally eaten alive in the last two games. Really the big takeaway for me ever since the bye week has been the pass rush. Oh, it's non-existent. Complete and total lack thereof. They actually had a sack that I forgot about because it was on the first play of the game. And it was their first sack since the bye week. Um, and they didn't have another one. Uh, I believe Andrew Isaacs is still second on the team in sacks. Uh, he is a backup who played tight end his entire Maryland career until right now. Um, so that's that's what you and he got both of those in like a few minutes against Towson. He had a sack and a half. Um, yeah, that, that's just what happens when Jesse Annabonum's out. Um, they haven't. They try to go bigger on the line and. Melvin Kane, who's a very good pass rusher, they haven't been playing too much. They haven't played Bryce Brand as much. Um, and those guys are somewhat pass rushing specialists. Neither of them is anywhere near where Andy Bonham is, was. Um, so it's, you know, they're still just struggling on that side of the ball. And in a 4-2-5, it's tough to stop the run, especially when the other team's running back is Justin Jackson. Um, or many, many, Dodd. many Justin Jacksons in this world, and it turns out that most of them, if you're named Justin Jackson, are good athletes. Yeah, I'm hoping to actually hire a Justin Jackson writer just for intramural purposes. That would be interesting, <laughs> yes. You'd win every athletic competition you ever played in, baseball, softball, doesn't matter, basketball. They, they, yeah, they've, they've struggled against the run. They've struggled to get a pass rush. Uh, that's, that's, you can't really have both, and... They've got they're struggling on both ends right now, and it's very frustrating. And Lamar, I mean, it puts a lot of pressure on the offense 
to really make plays. And this offense isn't a time-eating offense. It's a home-run big play offense. And when the big plays aren't there and you have your third-string quarterback who got injured but came back, boy, it would have been something else if after all that had happened over the last 24 hours that Max Bordenschlager got injured and could not return in that game, but he did. Uh, so you're putting an undue amount of pressure on your big play players to make big plays, which is not sustainable. And we've seen that now the last couple of games is that Maryland's big play players, DJ Moore had an insane game, but Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison didn't, and they got really no contributions from anywhere else. And when you're putting all that much pressure on just a couple of players to succeed, you're not going to be successful offensively. Uh well yeah it's uh it's hard to make yeah it's hard to make up for the fact that you're down your first two quarterbacks and they're still uh trying to find ways to yeah get everyone involved even when most defensive most defenses now know exactly what Maryland's gonna throw at them and it's uh the last couple of defenses had had like success stacking the box and stopping the run that way uh however Bordenschlager has is still doing okay. The someone's throwing him the uh, someone's throwing DJ Moore the ball Saturday. He also finally got uh, finally connected with Tavon Jacobs. You saw them like trying to find each other a couple of times over the first couple of weeks of the season. But Bordenschlager uh, was finally able to hit him for like one of the home run uh, plays. But it's just not enough. They got, the defense has to be able to stop be able to stop the run and be able to get the get the opposing offenses off the field uh the yeah i think it's thomas the offense being such a big play offense and nobody really respecting max portenslager's ability to throw the ball which as we said last week it's understandable and also because he really can't run and he's not a threat to run like tyrell pigram and kasim hill that doesn't keep linebackers honest and it doesn't open up those running lanes for ty johnson and lorenzo harrison when you have really athletic front fours and front sevens that Ohio State and Northwestern to a lesser extent have had, if you stack the box and dare Max Bortenschlager to beat you, more often than not, he's not going to beat you. And then Maryland has all these three and outs, and then their defense, which is already stretched real thin to begin with, gets tired, and you can see how these things will end up. And that's kind of been the story the last two weeks, and you got to have the feeling that in the next six games, that's probably going to be a lot of the story in the same way. You would think, and then the... The story of the first six games has been so all over the place. You just don't know. Max Bortenschlager was Maryland's leading rusher. That can't happen. Not, which is not ideal. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ty Johnson had another quiet game. It's one of those where when he goes off, I mean, he goes off when they win, and he doesn't go off when they lose. And it seems like a pretty direct correlation. Um and at the same time, in their three wins, they've like held opponents under 100 yards rushing, and in their three losses, they've given up over 200 yards rushing every time. So I mean, I think that's that's where it starts. I mean, it you know, a part of that is you know, Bortenschlager being, I think he was he was okay. You know, he's not. If you force him to make too many plays, you know, he won't make a ton, but he can make kind of the routine plays and he has just enough scrambling ability to, you know, keep the defense honest there, but you know, you still do have to try somehow to establish the run. And 
the problem with Johnson and Harrison last year was when when they were quiet, they were really quiet. Um, and that's been the story still this year, is that, you know, Johnson, when Maryland is lost, he's just been taken out of the game, basically. And they have to find a way to not have that going forward. We saw them try to put both running backs on the field when – Bordenschlager was hurt. They tried the wildcat looks, and, and that just didn't work. I think it's a lot of it. It's just when you have an athletic quarterback like Pigram and Hill who can also throw the ball effectively, you keep defenses honest with their running ability, and that opens up running lanes for Johnson and Harrison. And maybe against less athletic defenses, they're going to have trouble stopping Johnson and Harrison, kind of like how Minnesota did. But Ohio State's a whole other animal, but even Northwestern found a way to do that. And I hate to break it to you all, but you already probably know this. Uh, the game against Wisconsin is not going to be much better. In fact, it's probably going to be worse. They have a very athletic defense, and they run the ball down your throat. This is going to be another one of those, sorry, Maryland's on national network television, folks. We didn't make the decision. We didn't advise them to do this. Uh, that's not going to go well at Wisconsin on this Saturday. At least you get to watch Jonathan Taylor. He's special. He is really good, but he's not wearing the right shade of red. I wish he was wearing the other one, but hey, what can you do? Is this one going to be one of those where it's like, well, we're going to kind of turn this off in the second quarter and go watch other things because there are probably better things we could do with our day than watch Maryland lose 56 to nothing again? I wish it could be like that for me, who has to cover things. Um, but I don't know. Maryland could theoretically keep it close for a while. I mean, they had their chances against Ohio State to kind of keep it close in the first half, and then they couldn't capitalizing those chances because the offense was stuck in the mud for an entire football game. And I mean, eventually Ohio state pulled away in the second quarter and then just kind of kept that on going on. Um, I could see it unfolding a similar way without the drunk, like first 10 minutes that include a kickoff return and a couple block kicks. I, I, I don't see a scenario where Maryland threatens to win this game, but I don't know. They could they could hang around for sure. Uh, what I, I what I think ends up happening is Wisconsin's not an Ohio State where they have an explosive offense and they'll hang sixty on you. That's not who they are. But they probably will just run it down your throats. And Maryland has no demonstrated ability to stop the run at this point against Jonathan Taylor. That's not a good thing, uh, Lamar. So, uh, in lieu of winning, which seems highly unlikely at this point, even less likely than it did at Ohio State, to me somehow. Uh, what are you looking for in this game? Any sort of running game out of tie-in, Lolo. The, we, like, I don't think Maryland is going to win this game, and, but like they have to prove that even in the loss, they can get like the running game going because there's no chance they compete in the Big Ten if teams can completely shut down a large portion of their offense. And that seems to be, Thomas, the, the biggest issue, is they were so reliant on Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison, and they're amazing, but they were really reliant on them every time they win, and they don't have tons of other options. And Again, you can't blame them. They don't have their top two quarterbacks. But because of that, and in the Big Ten, when teams can beat you in so many different ways— most of them could beat you in so many different ways. Turns out Minnesota can't, and Rutgers probably can't. But that's the most frustrating thing is, like, now teams know how to scheme against them, and there are good coaches in that Maryland offensive meeting room, and they haven't figured out a way 
to readjust. And I don't know if that should be concerning. I don't know if that's just a product of they don't have their quarterbacks and that's bad luck. But, I mean, it's you, we got to see the running game get something going at some point, right? I mean, it has to happen. Maybe it happens against Rutgers because anybody can run against Rutgers. But at some point, don't you think the running game has to get back in track? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, a few minutes earlier in this podcast, I said, They've, they've run the ball well when they've won, and when they lost, they've been kind of quiet there. You you have to do that. That's the identity of this offense. Um, that's not that's not changing. Yeah. They, even, even when Walt Bell decides to throw the ball a lot more than he probably should, which has been an issue we've seen in some games, even if the running game isn't working. I mean, you got to pound it until you can anymore, and I think sometimes he abandons the run a little too early, but... I might be nitpicking at this point with the way that Maryland's offense is going. So we don't expect it to go very well on Saturday, but at it least never, he had... it never seemed like he abandoned it. I mean, he just, he just knew that everyone was geared to stop it. And I don't know. It didn't seem like they had an answer for it. And they haven't for a couple of weeks. Um, That's what I'm trying to, I keep hoping that the, they're going to find one and they yeah, just one can't of those seem things to. Where, like, the, the plan they put together to to win with Fortenschlager on the road at Minnesota was a fantastic job of coaching. And then a very good Ohio State team figured out what they did, and then they, they sniffed all that out. And then Northwestern did a lot of the same, and Wisconsin's going to do a lot of the same. And you just have to re you know adjust to the adjustment of your adjustment. It's, it's how sports works, and it's weird, and I don't know. It, I they haven't been yet. able to do it yet, and I don't think it's happening against yeah. Wisconsin. But you do have something to look forward to on Saturday because Maryland Madness is happening on Saturday, and that's good. It is officially basketball season, which I think a lot of Maryland fans are really happy to say right now because of everything that has gone on in this football season and the fact that an athletic director was fired. Thomas, how excited are you about Maryland Madness? Uh, about the event itself? Well, I like the um, event. I think okay. it's cool. I've always enjoyed it. I think it's it's nice. I'm more excited because it means basketball season is basically here. Um, I mean, their first game is in that's... what two weeks? Well, preseason game, I think. Uh, yeah, I think something like that. Which means it would be three weeks away from their first real game, which is even better. Yep. Oh my God, we need basketball in our lives, don't we, uh, Lamar? I mean, Maryland Madness is always fun. I've always liked it as the event. Sometimes it could be a little silly and goofy, but there are the dunks and they're fun. And then, you know, I've always enjoyed these events for being silly and lighthearted ways to enter the season. And I think right now everybody in Maryland athletics, anybody who likes Maryland sports is going to need a little bit of a uh, lighthearted approach to Maryland athletics after everything that's happened recently. Yes? Uh, yeah. Uh, a way to kick off the season. And it's a nice little break between uh, football, especially since it's the same day as we're probably going to get smacked in Wisconsin. Um, but, yeah, the more important thing is, yeah, it's basketball season. We're almost here. First, the exhibition is, like, November 2nd, yeah. And the first game is November 9th, I believe. So we're, we're getting close. I'm really excited to see just who's coming out on Saturday. It's going to... Be excited to see Bruno Fernando is all I'm going to say. Uh, you don't learn much from Maryland Madness in terms of a basketball sense, but Bruno Fernando is a big man. 
And seeing Maryland big men playing, there's always something good about that. And I'll be very excited to see that from my couch on Saturday night after watching Maryland lose by 56 at Wisconsin. Well, you know, you got to do something, right, to lick your wounds. It's, it's inevitable. It's Maryland. It's Maryland sports. This stuff happens with us. Uh, so... That was a weird week, Thomas. In the time you have been covering Maryland athletics, which isn't long, that's got to be the weirdest 24 hours that you have ever had dealing with this athletic program and multiple sports that you have seen yet, yes? Yeah, it, it was it was something crazy because, like, the Ayala thing happened during the basketball game or during the football game um, with Dotson the night before and Anderson – just that whole time, and then and BTN's at the school too, and everybody in the crowd yeah. obviously kind of knows what's going on, and you can even see it in Mark turns his eyes. Starts, he knows it, and and also there's there's nothing quite like just watching a play, and like the ball is in the backfield, and the crowd is just groaning because someone dropped a football that was tossed from one section to another. Um, that was the weirdest it, part it was, of the game. That was just weird. I I don't know how well it was like picked up on TV. It wasn't. Um, but once you posted, I went back and looked for it, and it looked really weird on TV. And when you hear a groan, I just assumed that was a normal. Oh, Maryland's offense is terrible. Groan. It turns out it wasn't at all. Yeah, I mean that was while well, it was so weird to see that happening in Northwestern. Just like kind of, it's, it's like the most low key march down the field to end the half I've ever seen. Um, and it almost ended up being a good thing because the extra point went back into the stands. And then they just they just played it again. It was really funny, and the Testudo Tides Twitter account said the extra point was missed. When did Jay Feely hack our account? No comment. Okay, just checking. Uh, anyway, it was a very weird time for Maryland Athletics, and not like it's going to be much happier until basketball season really starts, but you have Maryland Madness to get you thinking to get you excited about the basketball season that is ahead. And, of course, stay tuned to this website and to this podcast for all other sorts of crazy things that are inevitably going to happen in an AD search and with basketball recruiting and the like. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. And enjoy Maryland Madness because we know the football game is probably not going to end particularly well. But we're still through this team with thick and thin because that's who we are. But until then, of course, go Terps. Go Terps.